0: I'm Susanna Constantine and this is my wardrobe malfunction. How are you all? So sorry we've been away for so long, but I've been writing a new book which is out in four weeks or so time and it's called Ready for Absolutely Nothing, which I discovered I was. A memoir about my little life and... I mean, there were so many things in writing it that surprised me. So hopefully it will do the same for you. It's very funny and filled with all kinds of iconic and interesting people because my life, as it transpires, was a bit like Forrest Gump's. Anyway, this is a bonus episode and our 68th in total. If you're joining us for the first time, you can catch up with all 67 other glorious guests, including the music maestros Nicola Benedetti, Yolanda Brown and Jess Gillam. But on to today's special guest, someone I've admired for a very long time, the terrific trumpet trooper, Alison Balsam. So you know it, let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. a special bonus episode and the first of 2022 i'm with trumpet virtuoso and all-round classical music icon alison balsam my god thank you so much
1: oh it's such a pleasure it's really lovely to meet you and um, have the chance to just chat about all these things
0: how are you you must be manic at the moment with um your new album coming out yeah
1: you know what i'm manic with the, the combination of the new album coming out a live concert to promote it plus it being the school holidays it's just there's a lot of a lot going on in both domestic and professional you know uh, meeting point at this point you know I don't know why I agreed to do a concert on the last day of some holidays because it does mean that <laughs> I'm having to get my chops uh, strong enough to play this I'm playing everything on the album plus two more pieces which was nuts nuts idea I don't know what I was thinking when I agreed to that. Or well, maybe I've probably even suggested it. I've yeah, You probably punishment. did. It's
0: like, we all, I think you kind of get to the stage. It's like when you're not in the holidays and you haven't got all the kids around, it's like, oh, I can do anything. Yeah. And then the reality of when you have everybody around, it's like, why exactly. did I agree to that? Exactly. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. So when is your concert? So the concert
1: is on the 31st of August at Snape Malting. So I don't know if you've been there. It's this absolutely stunning, old, huge old barn that's been made into a concert hall. Um, and it's a lovely acoustic for the trumpet. It's all wood. Um, mm-hmm. And it's with the Britain Symphonia, who is this amazing orchestra. Um, with a really good friend of mine who's playing piano in Rhapsody and Blue, the um, world world's greatest core anglais and oboe player, Nicholas Daniel. He's playing. We're playing this piece called Quiet City, which the album's named after. Mm. Um, and just loads of, you know, this big, big piece of Gil Evans, Miles Davis, jazz, and loads of other things as well.
0: So, yeah, it's I mean, quite it must marathine. be, because it's like, you know, you would never, apart from jazz, you don't really think of the trumpet as being... as a soloist a trumpet soloist especially in a a, you know playing classical music there can't be many classical pieces are there for you to get into
1: that's exactly the thing it's been the biggest challenge of my career has been to find you know to find music that I can get my teeth into that uh, you know the audiences want to hear it but it's got artistic integrity and it's like you know we don't have a concerto by Beethoven and we don't have all this music that the violin or the piano has but the other side of that is that it is sort of creates an opportunity. It feels like that instead of like, oh my God, what am I going to play? I've got nothing. There is stuff. And I also arrange music that's written for other instruments. So then you can sort of put yourself in a position and think I'm going to be a pioneer here. I'm going to do something that's not been done before. And I have to say that has has been what's been most sort of addictive for me over my whole Mm. career. Just making, you know, these pieces on this disc are, they already existed. I didn't create any of them, but I did curate them. You know, I don't think you've ever... Been, there's ever been an album which was so classical and so jazz at that sort of meeting point where you know the the Gil Evans score is written in a very classical very specific way and then you know Gershwin and Bernstein they just so loved jazz and um you know there was such a big influence on them from the jazz movement so it's just this lovely place where as you say the trumpets known as this jazz instrument probably people don't necessarily think of it as a classical instrument but there is you know the Baroque era, which was mm. you know Purcell bar candle, that was the golden age of the trumpet. so there is this classical side, and then there's the explosion of jazz in the twentieth century, and then there's this place in the middle, and that's where this whole album kind of sits in that sort of wonderful melting pot of styles in twentieth century America
0: that's amazing so you you really are the pioneer of of that marriage then. <laughs> um yes. I'm not the pioneer,
1: but I I put this collection. Of, I can definitely say no one has ever put a collection of music together like this before. Mm. Um, so that's and also what's great about what I do is I'm not composing myself, but it does mean that I'm constantly like wallowing and swimming around and exploring amazing music. So there's sort of this given that you in my world where. The material is really good. No one's going to go, yeah, it's not really a very good piece, is it? we do not not going to like it in two years. Yeah. Probably in 20 years or even 200 years, the music will will
0: still survive. And that is a real privilege. Is there any bit of music, not necessarily classical even, where the trumpet is not used that you would love to do or you wish that it could be adapted to the trumpet?
1: Well... You know, if there is one, I'm going to immediately record it because <laughs> that's what I've been. Do- that's yeah. what I've been doing for 20 years. It's like, oh, what would sound good on the trumpet, and and you know, that's why you know was so happy to sign a five album deal with Warner's. It's like, oh, that's going to be so easy because I can think of so much music that isn't maybe necessarily for the trumpet yet, but I uh, I will steal it. Yeah, there's stuff like Mozart, for example. It doesn't really translate, and you can spend ages on it, months, you know, making arrangements. And then I've had this where. I thought oh yeah this is a good idea this is going to be great and I you know and I got to the point where I almost was going to record it and I was like I just have to be honest this doesn't really work most he knew what he was doing just leave it alone back off the Mozart whereas composers like Bach are it's just coming from a different place where it's almost indestructible that you can anyone can play these incredible lines and melodies and and it sort of just gives it a new life it doesn't mean it's better or anything like that but it means that there's just this other voice telling the same wonderful story
0: Mm. did
1: you come from a musical background were your parents musical so my parents weren't in fact musical but they um they realized that i was really really into it from a young age so they used to make great sacrifices to get me to all my lessons and rehearsals. Um, And they knew that it was something I was really interested in. So they supported it, even though they weren't doing it themselves.
0: Have you always had a musical ear like this? I mean, is it a gift or is it something that you've taught yourself, do you think, or a combination of the two?
1: I, I started playing when I was seven. Um, and there were lots of us at school who all just wanted to play. You know, it's a really inspiring music teacher. Um, and the, various instruments were laid out. And I already knew my uncle had a trumpet, so I already knew how to make a note on the trumpet. So I was like, oh, "I know how to do this." So I picked up the trumpet. But lots of the girls picked up the trumpet. It was a very popular instrument, of course, because it's so beautiful looking. And and then I just was hooked. And then as people gave up, I was, you know, it was almost like there was no gender stereotype because at seven there really isn't. It's really mm. young. It's not eleven. And and then I started playing in my band, local band, and I had made really great girlfriends who were also playing it was really part, it was my social life. So even when I thought, I can't be bothered to practice, it's boring. And, you know, I I really want to go to band practice because I really need to gossip with my friend Becky about this thing or that thing. (laughs) And and then it just was the sort of most pleasurable part of my life. And I did have these inspiring moments where I went to a live concert here or had an amazing recording there. And um, it just sort of ignited the passion for me. Um, But I do think... Or two things. I, if I was at school now, I wouldn't be playing because I wouldn't have had that chance at a little mm. local primary school to play an instrument. And the other is that loads of children have a musical ear. I would say most children have some kind of musical. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would. Yeah. I would like to hazard a guess that fifty percent can. Yeah. Can really can really hear music and and be could potentially be good musicians because it's, it's such it's like it's so part of us, you know, mm. it's beyond language. It's, it's something that I think human beings just sort of need. And I think probably more than 50%, but I would say 50% could definitely play an instrument well. And it's just a case of having, after that, it's having the chance, having the luck, having the opportunity.
0: And so do you think that if you don't start at an early age, so let's say, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about music, all kinds of music, but I could no more pick up a, a musical instrument than climb Everest, do you think you have to start at an early age or can someone later in life pick something up and tap into that musical ear? Do
1: you know what? I don't... I'm sure you can. I'm absolutely sure you can. And I'm sure if you felt that you wanted to, I bet you could. I think it probably you know, physiologically it's much easier to learn when you're younger, of course, because it's much easier to do anything when you're younger, your brain is like a sponge, whereas now, you know, it's hard for me to even remember one text message someone sent me two hours ago, I can't even remember that it happened. At the same time, if you have an interest in it, and you have a a, a lot, you know, sort of an itch that needs to be scratched, you probably should go and do it. And maybe one instrument just really won't turn you on, but another one really will, and it will click. Um, My son had that, you know, he, he, was he tried a few instruments he he didn't really care for any of them and then when he found the drums it was like oh there's no he has no concept that he ever even practices the drums he just loves playing the drums which means he's got really good at it um whereas the others were like oh I better do my chore kind of thing it's like mm. no no that's not what this should all be about you know if, if someone has to force you to practice you probably shouldn't be doing it it's got to be like oh my gosh I can't wait till I go and you know get learn that tune or play that piece you know I think or play with those other people. That's another thing. Yeah. That I I actually find practicing quite often. I'm like for it feels like I'm going for an uphill run. I don't really want to do it. But then after I've done it, and I know the, what it's going to lead to, that I get to play with other people. It feels so good. You know, there's nothing like that feeling.
0: That's so true. It's everything is like that. So you know, I write and you, or I go for a run and I think, oh God, please, you know, oh. But you <laughs> never regret doing anything that you don't want to do.
1: Yeah, it's true. And also because I think you know afterwards how it makes you feel. Mm. And it might be something, it might be some, something that s- stays with you as well. You know, For example, you go on a holiday and you really think I'm just going to go to the beach and whatever. But, and then you go to a museum, maybe you're a kid and you're like, I don't really want to go to that museum, it's going to be boring. 25 years later all what do you remember about that holiday that museum nothing else and it's you know it can be a bit like that with classical music Mm. That sometimes you hear it and you think oh it's it's impenetrable I don't understand what's going on I'm a bit bored but I'll sit here quietly anyway and then you realize your brain has gone to this place this isn't always the case by the way sometimes it's riveting (laughs) but occasionally you realize that your brain has sort of expanded and it's gone to all these places it would never otherwise go And then you realise that that concert stayed with you for years, you know. Or you hear that piece, you might hear it more and more and more, and each time it means more to you. And that's like, oh, at first this was an uphill run, but now it's like, I I can't live without it.
0: Yeah, it's so true. I mean, two things, going back to the um, learning an instrument later in life, you're so right about the physiological side, because I think you have to have a certain amount of dexterity and coordination to be able to play An instrument well, so for example, I am literally the most uncoordinated person I know, (laughs) and that I think uh, is it's impossible. I find it impossible because I am so uncoordinated. So I, I think you're so right. It is learning to use your body and to match one side to the other makes a big difference if you're able to do that.
1: I think you're right. I think that's the thing, and obviously the physicality of it is important, but at the same time you shouldn't necessarily be trying to do it to be good. I think you do it purely for the satisfaction. So if if you were saying, you know, the coordination of something was really challenging, but then you achieved it, say like grade one piano, and you did it, like who cares that you're not like the most famous concert pianist in the world? If you found like playing that piece was really satisfying and you had something to aim for, you know, the deadline of the exam, okay, you might not enjoy the actual exam. But that whole process of learning to the deadline that piece on the piano and then you could then you're like well I didn't used to be able to do that but now I can mm. you might get an immense satisfaction from that and it will do something in your brain that there's nothing else that you could do on the planet that would give you that kind of particular neurological hit you know high whatever you call it
0: for people who aren't used to going to see live um classical music is that, is there a way to listen to it so you know, some someone like if I go, I might kind of tune into. You know, I love the violin, or I, I love a certain in the oboe or the clarinet. I mean, is there a way to listen to classical music? I think little kids tell us how to
1: listen to classical music. You know, they if it's rubbish and boring, they will start being naughty, and if it's amazing and wonderful and moving and exciting or beautiful, they will sit spellbound. And they're not, no one's telling them how they should listen. Oh, okay. they might be telling them not to, like, jump on the tables, whatever. But there's no rules. It's just a case of, is this making me feel something or is it not? You know, my one rule about classical music is, like, try and find really good concerts. Don't go to one that's not, you know, I don't mean not go to an amateur performance. An amateur performance could be wonderful, Mm. but don't go to one where... It could be, you know, where they're phoning it in, where it just feels like the orchestra are like, oh, this is my desk job, I better just go and play this piece. Do it where the musicians are giving it their all because that really comes across. And then you don't have, as an audience member, you don't have to do anything. It's not your job to do anything. Your job is to just turn up. And then if you're not enjoying it, you know, I've been known to leave concerts in the interval because it's like, I'm not getting anything from this. I'm not, I'm off. Mm. Um, and other times when I think, you know, I was worried about going to a prom once of this Messian piece, called Tarangulila and I'd never heard it before. And I knew it was really, really long and I was promming. So I was going to be standing up. And the whole time I was like, I'm really worried. I think my feet are going to really hurt. I wonder if, you know, what shoes I should wear. (laughs) And then honestly, it felt like it was about 10 minutes long. It was, I think it was like you know, at least two hours long. I can't remember how long it is, long. And it went by in a flash and I still remember it. I still remember just being absolutely gobsmacked by the sound world that I was standing in. I couldn't believe it. And I still remember it was like 15 years ago. I didn't do anything I just was shocked by what it did to me you know mm. and I think I think that's that's it you know sometimes it doesn't do anything for you it's like meditation sometimes you're like oh yeah
0: really I'm really feeling this and another time you're like no I'm just gonna go and do the washing up mm. so going back to a shoe you mentioned shoes and um, when you're performing what do you are there certain things that you always wear that, so flat shoes, high shoes, no jewellery. Do you have any kind of dressing rules?
1: You know, I it's weird. I mean, I probably do now. I wouldn't wear the... Actually, I do. I still wear them. I've got this really good pair of silver Prada high heels. They're so high, but they're really comfy. I can still wear them on stage, even though I would say, don't do that. You know, I'm very into yoga and I'm very into like grounding into the earth. But for some reason, when I'm on stage, I can wear high heels. I think it's because I did it from such a young age where, you know, when you don't care about wearing really high heels when you're, you know, early 20s, whereas now you'd never catch me in high heels ever, mm. except for on stage when it just doesn't bother me. Um, and one thing that I do have to really take care of is the, if I'm wearing a dress, it's got to be stretched. It's got to be able to stretch around the ribs and around the lungs. For your lung capacity, yeah and you know I've always been quite vain and wanting to wear like a beautiful dress I don't want some like massive sack so I want something tight but <laughs> of course the, the rib the lungs have to go you know so you need you do need stretchy flexibility and I did for the last night at the proms I wore this dress from Viv- Vivian Westwood it was so beautiful but it was really tight you know how her dresses always have corsets yeah and I had to give it back it was a borrowed dress and I spent like hours just sewing these tiny tiny like ringlets in that I could put this very thin stretchy elastic just like a sort of um you know like a shoelace thread all the way down the back so when I was doing and then I and then afterwards I've spent another hours you know unpicking it so I could give it back (laughs) and they would never know (laughs) because I was like I really want to wear that dress but this concert is way too important for me not to be able to breathe uh, you know as much as my body needs so
0: Mm. so do you choose all your um what you wear do you choose when you're performing yeah
1: I do I do yeah and sleeves no sleeves don't feel strongly about sleeves yeah um I don't love being really hot which I found I was doing a concert in Italy a few weeks ago and it was about 40 degrees and I'm not someone really who sweats that much on stage but on this occasion I could feel sweat dripping off my eyelashes Oh and then afterwards gosh. my you know I was sort of saying hi to everyone afterwards and I my husband kept going going like that to me I was like oh it must be like an eyelash We're like don't worry about it and I got back to the hotel and I literally had like black like this <laughs> I looked like a clown <laughs> I'd sweat it off all my makeup and um so yeah being hot isn't the best and also because you know you've got this piece of metal on your lips yeah. and it's sliding around no, yeah so you down. can't wear lipstick can you no, definitely not my lipstick. Which is why I go overboard with the black eye
0: makeup. Yeah. You know, Get it's, some you know, waterproof mascara, I know. Girl, for goodness sake. <laughs> How much do you move around playing the trumpet? It's not as physical as something like the violin, is it?
1: Well, it kind of is. Because, OK, you're not actually doing yeah. that, but you're... It's a full body workout. You know, you're using your intercostal muscles to make the notes. You're using your every, your facial muscles to make the notes. You're using your throat. You're like a sort of singer. And it, all the sound quality comes from your body, not from the instrument. That's so interesting. It's a very, physically very demanding. And yeah. because of that, the trumpet has been quite often treated like a, you know, seen like a very male instrument because it's so physically hard to do. And it's very, you know, it's very loud and it's very um, sort of mask. It can be treated quite, you know, in that sort of sporting way. And um, I like, I prefer to, instead of thinking of it like the sort of weightlifting competition, I prefer to think of it like ballet dancing. You know, if you think about ballet dancers, they're so, it's probably the strongest
0: mm, humans,
1: like, especially the mm. men, they're so strong, but they're not strong in a like, look at my muscles way, it's really mm. quite internalised and it's also an art, you know, It's once you are so, so strong, it's not about your strength, it's about what you can then do with your strength. And I love to talk about that analogy with the trumpet. It's like once you can play really high, really loud and really fast, then also make sure you can play really intimately and controlled and quietly and across the whole register. And then you really can start, you can start doing something interesting because that in itself is not very interesting. And I've got a really good friend who you know, we talk about trumpeters and um, I, I'm sure there are trumpet players who are like, why has she got such a long career? You know, it's like, cause, um, cause me and Adam are sort of saying, well, that person would definitely be in the trumpet Olympics. You know, it's like that person can really do any technical thing on the trumpet, but it probably hasn't occurred to them that, that it is, there is art to be had here. And that's right. really, I'm really not the best technically best trumpet player at all out there I wouldn't even be in the finals of the trumpet Olympics but I see it in this different way where it's like no this is a thing of great artistry and that's why I you know I don't tend to go to trumpet
0: conferences and Mm. brass band competitions I'm constantly trying to tell the rest of the world what it can do. That makes so much sense you say that it's kind of it's an internal projection, and it comes from you and is is that why you do yoga because you're using your breath so much so it keeps your you know helps keep your lungs fit
1: yeah i th- I don't know why I do yoga I think because it's a good idea yeah um, but i i did i did have pneumonia about ten years ago, oh and it God. really did take me ages to get over it and it was only when i was well enough to start doing yoga again that it was like, oh wow, this is actually making me better, alongside my trumpet playing, which I think actually helped me. Uh-huh. Um and so since then I you know I've had a very healthy respect for it. And yeah. It, and also before concerts, you know, I still get really nervous before a concert, you know, and what you know, what do you do in those in that sort of half an hour before you've got to pick up the instrument, get ready and get on the stage? What do you do with that time? It's agony. Uh, which is what I think Twitter was invented for. You know these little short bi- bites, five second concentration. You know because there didn't used to be such little snippets of concentration. You know you could just do something for three seconds and, and then it's ended. So I, that's when I first got into Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we now we all think like in these tiny three second bites, but but yoga was a thing. It's like okay. The last thing you want to do right now is stretch and start breathing in in, in a controlled fashion, but that's exactly what you should do in order mm. to have the physical stamina and the mental clarity to go on stage you know and be under that sort of pressure where every especially with the classical period music where every single note has to be perfect and then you have to bring something extra to it you know I find that really terrifying
0: yeah I'm not surprised and I mean it must have been so hard when you first got shot into the spotlight, which was sort of you became a professional soloist in what was it, 2002, 2001? Mm,
1: yeah, Bella, yeah, I mean,
0: how did that <clears throat> feel? It must have been having been, you know, had the comfort of other players around you to suddenly be alone.
1: I wouldn't say that it was a sudden thing, you know, this thing where people, you know, go from obscurity to a sudden. Great fame, you know. I think that is a really dangerous and weird mm. thing for people. But I was fighting, you know, it was like a street fight to get every solo concert, win a competition, be, you know, have this recital, um, you know, to, you know, get this opportunity to. There was, you know, something on the radio at the Wigmore Hall. You know, it was like I would fight for those opportunities, and they were they happened, you know. And I did BBC Young Musician of the Year when I was a teenager, mm. and those those things you know there was no such thing as a solo trumpet career really I mean there was there's sort of a handful of musicians around the world who are international trumpet soloists but they all they're so different from what I do in style and um so I didn't really know if it was going to be possible I just knew I really wanted to so I just kept on fighting for it and I had some great opportunities um which allowed me to play with the BBC orchestras and you know do loads of stuff on the radio which was also great in terms of People were asking me about gender. It's like, you're not going to know what my gender is. I'm on the radio. It's fine. Yeah. Um. And, you know, th- this BBC New Generation Artist um scheme was like, you have to play a different concerto every time with a different BBC orchestra. They're all broadcast. You know, so it was a ma- amazing pressure, but in a really good way, in a really sort of uh, meritocratic way, if mm. you like. Um. And you're only ever as good as your last concert, whether you're 14 or... 44 you know it's like you're only ever as good as what you've just done or what you're about to do potentially so you're very you've always got this sort of very healthy respect for okay I may have done that but can I still do it tomorrow you know so there's never really
0: been a moment of like whoa and here I am I've made it ever no well I think once you get to that stage you might as well put your shoes up or your trumpet up. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. to always have curiosity in whatever mm-hmm. your hobby, whatever it is. Mm. And I love the fact that you kind of consider yourself, you consider yourself a street fighter. You know, you were going out there and fighting for it because that's not something you kind of tally with the, the, the sedate um, perception of classical music. But it's true, you know, you... If you, you're going to make it, you've got to bloody well fight for it.
1: Yeah, you have. And if you think about it, you know, becoming any kind of musician, people, it's well known that that would be a competitive, in you know, industry to, to be successful in. And there seems to be this wonderful, you know, when I've met musicians who are not classical musicians, pop stars and all sorts. They have amazing respect for the classical musicians um, because they know that it's, you can't fake it. You can't. Your technique has to be flawless, and then you have to. That's just not enough either. You have to have way more than just a good technique. You have to have this big aura on stage, and you've got to have this ability that you can always move people. And your absolute worst on stage is where people think that they've had the best time of their lives. You know, you, there's no and there's no lighting effects. There's no sound desk where people turn you up and add a bit of reverb. There's nothing. You do it all on your own. So there's it's incredibly competitive. You know, even to get a job in a professional orchestra is it's incredibly competitive mm. and it's not harder to become a soloist it's just a different profession you know a soloist is playing all the time if you're in the orchestra you have to be perfect and then everything else with flair and you know beauty and interest in your sound and your phrasing and yet you sit there and you don't get paid as well as a soloist would and you don't get to play all the tunes and you have to do what the conductor says and and maybe your section principal or whatever and you have to travel around the world all the time and leave your family. And yet you still have to be incredible. You know, you're the top in the world at what you do. And that's just, that's to be an orchestral musician, you know. Um, to be a soloist, you know, of course you're front and centre, but you're not, you have a little bit more autonomy. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting one in terms of, yeah, it's very, I would say it's extremely competitive.
0: Yeah, but also very exposing Especially for you, because you're you're putting your soul, you're putting you every are, cell yeah. of your body into that, and you are exposed totally. But then you get you get the chance
1: to give something. Whereas you know when I sit, if I sat fourth trumpet, which I did when I was at college with the LSO, I'd be I'd look up and I'd be like, oh, I could never sit on second trumpet. Oh my god, I could never do it um because it just looks so much scarier. You know, you take yourself to what you think you can manage and you know that day I was like I can't imagine doing anything even this is a stretch for me to just do fourth trumpet whereas if you come in as a soloist it's a totally different mindset it's like well I'm here to tell you who I am through my instrument and I'm going to do my very best at that and that's that don't think too much about what the other people are thinking about you or anything like that so I think you just step up to the plate and if you can do it you get booked again and if you can't you don't
0: yeah yeah Yeah, one of my daughters. She's she loves the guitar, but classical guitar, and she's very passionate about it. But at school, there was no opportunity for her. There was no one who could teach her, and it wasn't that it wasn't taken seriously. And I know you're a huge advocate of um, the importance of music education, which has now been demoted, it's been demoted in schools, hasn't it? Which seems such a shame because she gets so much out of playing Mm. and it's like it's just for her and Mm. um we couldn't get her anyone to teach her and to take it further so she's done it on her own and I that pissed me off so much because music is so important for for mental health she's got ADHD Mm. and it really Mm. helps her it calms her and it's just I think it's it's a travesty. Absolutely,
1: it's for and particularly for ADHD children. Mm. Um, it's so important. It's the gateway to everything else, you know. And it's scientifically proven now. It's so short sighted that schools don't have every single person in the school playing an instrument because it's the doorway to maths, English, everything, concentration, having your classes just want to be there and and just focus and you know and neurologically it's so obvious how it helps the brain and how it can help you with everything in your life and um, I've become a little bit obsessed with what's going on in your brain with Mm. both ADHD actually and what can happen with music and um, there's so much written about it now where it's like oh my gosh in this country with the exception of one or two schools you know it's like what are you doing not putting music at the front more important than math and English of course math and English are important but if you want your children to engage with what with what you're doing, you have to find this bit of their brain and s- stimulate it, because then it will help with everything else. And it helps, as you say, mental health with self-confidence, with working as a team, with everything. And I, you know, I, I don't write peer-reviewed papers on this stuff, but it's like, it's so obvious to me. How it's like taking away food, how could you, how could this even be a question? And um, you know, you need, of course you you need teachers who are inspiring to help you learn the instruments, but they need to be, people need to be playing together. And as we touched on earlier, it doesn't matter if you're any good,
0: you just need to be doing it. I mean, it's like sport. It's the same, you know, it's quite similar, except that it's, playing an instrument is more emotive, but they understand the importance of sport. Why can't, yeah. you know, music be given the same value? It's very, very frustrating. Yeah, it's
1: really, really co- confounding to me.
0: Yeah, well, you've got to keep banging that drum, Alison, big time music gives so much as much as walking in nature i think oh yeah at least yeah it does and that thing that you've described of you know
1: with with adhd that it's not a people who have adhd you know they struggle to focus on things that they're not engaged with but if they find something they are engaged with, if they have a hyper focus. They have an absolute focus, which a person who doesn't have it doesn't have that benefit. You know that way of just—it's almost like they don't even have to think about it. It's so—they're um, so able to in, get in tune with that thing, and that's you—you you know, musical instrument is the perfect thing for that, mm. um, and it satisfies. You know, it gives you that feedback, and it gives you that—you know, those endorphins, and it just—it's exactly the right for people who have ADHD. Mm-hmm. There is no more obvious thing to me that you you know than a musical outlet. Okay,
0: back to my wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> I love this—the way we go off on tangents. Okay, so when you do, Alison, when you're photographed for an album cover, how much attention do you pay to what you're wearing? Um, I I
1: do pay attention, but yeah, I and I do care about looking nice, but I don't really. It's just like okay, let's just get this done because then we can go and you know get the actual album made. But it's amazing how much energy and care goes into the clothes more than the notes. So I just have to be the person who um, makes sure we keep that perspective on what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So actually, the al- my album that I've just released is quite masculine. The cover, which I quite yeah, like, love but that. it's yeah. also a bit like oh, I don't look that amazing, but I don't really care. You know, I I don't care. I want people to. I care what people think about quiet city or you know Mm. the Gershwin or whatever but I I, if people don't think I look the best I could look like who cares you know it's like that's not what this is about so
0: so when do you care about clothes is there is there a time I, I identify very highly with you when is there a time so let's say you have to do um you married Sam Mendes and so you must have like no premiere of a film he's directed or something, yeah. and you have to wear a dress or something. Do you care? Yeah,
1: about I that? do. Oh, I really care about that. I care about it in like a normal person way. You know what it's like if you're on a red carpet. It, even if you thought you didn't care, by the time it's like that day, you really care because it's really yeah. stressful. Hateful. I hate but it. on stage, weirdly, even if I'm wearing an amazing ball gown or whatever, I genuinely don't really care. I, I, I really care that I look appropriate. You know, so you mm. work out what kind of gig it is you know is it on telly is it in an arab country is it you know gonna be hot is it gonna be you know what's the orchestra gonna be wearing you know i really care that that i get that right but i don't care about how like my face is a bit too red from playing high notes or whatever you know but i really do care about that stuff if you're on the red carpet and i'm you know with my husband i mean i think we don't we don't care about it as much as we don't get obsessed by it put it that way but it is important again that you you dress and to you know, you do your best when you're in those situations because they're intimidating. Yeah. And also, you know, you go into your friend's house for lunch, you wanna look you wanna look nice. So I do care I do care in that regard.
0: <laughs> you look very chilled. You've got a really nice white shirt, you're not wearing very much makeup, very chilled. Is that when you're happiest? Is when you don't have to dress up. Yeah.
1: I do love, you know, looking at Sam's profession, how oh God, it's so cruel and brutal that even mm. if you're whether or not you're a great actor how you look is really relevant to what you're doing. Whereas essentially what I do is not relevant. What I look is, how I look is not relevant to what I do. And that's very liberating. Yeah. And I don't, and I I tend to go towards more masculine styles. I don't really feel very comfortable in pretty dresses. Um, I like sort of structured and strong dresses, but I'm not, I would never, you would never really catch me wearing a dress at home. I'm in like my, you know, Haviana under the table.
0: (laughs) <laughs> dirty, yeah
1: exactly because that's great the the magic of zoom right um but i do i do have a good story for you because okay as soon as Spit i found out. out about your podcast this is, I, how long have you been doing my wardrobe malfunction now about two three years i
0: can't remember okay so, much going
1: so when on. i yeah. yeah so when i heard about it i thought I, I didn't even know whether that I would ever come on your podcast, but I thought, oh, if I ever did, I know exactly what I would say to Susanna. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in an Asian country. I actually can't remember which one, but I was on a big tour doing a, a, a trumpet and piano recital. So just me and the piano on the stage in these really big concert halls. And I was younger. I was, I don't know how much, much younger than I am now. Um, and I was wearing like the skimpy dress, maybe vesty straps down to the floor, but quite tight did my whole recital, um, I think it was maybe, maybe silk, I don't know what the dress was made of, did the whole recital, very successful, walked, walked off, went to my dressing room, and um, closed the door, and as I clicked the door closed, my knickers fell off. What? And <laughs> I was at this time when I, I, I think I may have bought this pair of knickers, don't judge me, I bought a pair of knickers from New Look, that were very small, and fit, slim, and they had a sort of T-bar on the back that was made of metal, which clearly was made of not very good metal or plastic. And the, that had just snapped. It just snapped and they fell off of, of this G-string I was wearing. Imagine if I, that had just happened five minutes before in front of 2,000 people. What would I have you're done? you are standing
0: with your knickers around your ankles. What would I I would guess I would have had to just flick them off into the crowd. <laughs> no, but I, Alison, I'm sorry, but I do judge you. For buying a pair of kind of iron clad pants, what were you just thinking? Why? Why? Why didn't, didn't they... I buy a pair of iron clad? No, that you, you did buy a pair of iron clad. Well, they weren't iron clad. They were just the like back. a
1: little, you know, little little pair g string, just to wear something small under a, you know, a. a... Slinky dress,
0: something that was not big and pants. Oh, a little like. I didn't thong. See... Yeah, so... a little thong. Oh, hate yeah. those. I yeah, hate them. No big pants. The moral the of the story is: don't buy cheap knickers. Can you imagine that you yeah. are? So that was a very, very close call on a major a... wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, yeah. So when you're trapped because you, uh, clearly uh, you travel a lot, a huge amount. Is there anything that you would consider to be your um, your comfort blanket?
1: Yeah, I struggled with um, thinking about what a comfort blanket for me would be. Um, and I actually had... I came up with this, which is my bracelet that was given to oh, me lovely. by my husband. And the reason that is this, because I, I do feel... I, well, basically, you can't get it off without a screwdriver. So it means I don't lose it. And, it, and when I first got it, it was slightly dug into me when I was going to you know sleeping and I thought oh, can I put up with this but now if it's not there I've only taken it off once or twice it feels so strange not having it there so now it's very much part of my body um, yeah and I do I do love it
0: you love it and you'll never lose it exactly <laughs> it's the
1: only piece of jewellery I'll never lose
0: and then it's the one item of clothing like your birthday suit it's the one item of clothing that you is your go-to um, piece never get rid of. Well, I've
1: got two answers to that. One is like, you know when you've got your favourite ever puffer jacket? I've got this beautiful Rick Owens puffer jacket. It'll probably, like, in a few years, I'll be like, meh, it's out of fashion. But right now, I just can't imagine that would ever happen. I love it so much. And it's just such, I mean, that's a comfort blanket as well. But I also brought this, which I just got out of an old hat box because I was like, I'm going to keep it forever. Um, And this is a dress that I
0: I, don't want to really wear anymore, but it's a dress... It's like a sort of strapless. Okay, just so you, everyone listening knows, it's the most beautiful ball dress. It looks like it could be Roland Murray. It's actually Belleville Sassoon, which I guess is a <gasps>
1: haute couture label. Do you Do know, you know remember? that
0: label? My mum used to wear Belleville Sassoon. Yeah, so it
1: was given to me as a, a photo shoot um, and they had it, you know, so a stylist gave it to me. And I've worn it, it's it's such a like, oh, if you really want to pull out the big guns, you would wear that. You know, floor length, amazing. As you walk, it's got this amazing kind of kick to it. It's really flattering. And it's got this kind of big red, um, you know, structured, but sort of of flower-like thing right at your boobs. So it just gives it a bit of shape. And Mm. I love that dress. I've never, I'm never going to have a better dress than that one.
0: Mm. And it's, you know, and it's your favorite dress it would have cost a lot of money from Belleville Sassoon soon and you keep it in a hat box
1: i know it also i just looked at it it's really creased that's not good is it that's disrespect, yeah. disrespecting the hope no. well you
0: actually i can't talk all my clothes which all of most of which i can't fit into anymore because my tits are so huge but, um, <laughs> I, yeah i'm okay. not saying i could get in this dress i'm no. we're talking about <laughs> I had, Trini came round, this is a while back, and I'd like put everything down in the cellar, and, because the kids are always like, when we go away, as soon as we go away, they have parties, and we've got a big kitchen here, and they bring out the speakers, and they're dancing, I swear to God, it looks like there's been an earthquake down there, dust from the ceiling all over my clothes and then oh. there's frogs jumping around so oh. I, I can't judge you for keeping your clothes in a hat box <laughs> no you really
1: no you all. just upped you up the yeah the competition there
0: yeah <laughs> um you know what I'd love to listen to a piece from your new album and how about because it's really I'm not an aficionado but Rhapsody in Blue I do know so should we take a little listen yes was of course Gershwin's iconic Rhapsody in Blue. Well, your album, Quiet City, is out and um, you're playing the concert tonight. Uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but good luck in the lovely wooden (laughs) barn. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's been so interesting talking to you. I, I could talk forever. You're amazing. And, uh, oh,
1: I feel like there's so many more things
0: we could touch on next time. We'll do part two. We will. <laughs> uh, all right, my love. Well, listen, so much luck with everything and I'm, I hope it's a massive success. Thank you. Thank you, Alison. I've loved meeting you and listening to your wonderful new album. It's called Quiet City and you can get hold of it through the links on our show notes or by going to alisonbalsom.com. You can also find us at My Ward Mal on our socials, on our website at Mal.com, and you, of course, can subscribe, rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform, such a mouthful that. Finally, you can find our own brassy band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. That's it. And thanks so much again to Alison. It really was a pleasure to talk to you. You're so down to earth and amazing. And thanks you guys for listening. Catch up soon. And until then, my wardrobe is officially closed.